Hey everybody, I'm Scott Hargrave from Bolter Brewing in Australia and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest today is Alexandra Noel of CLS Farms in Yakima, Washington. She's here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers alike. Uh, while we're at it, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patron.com forward slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into it in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushan. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. Hey, everybody. Um, yeah. Welcome, Alex. Hi. Uh, how have you been? What's... I've been really good. Scotty, how about you? Uh, very well. Thank you, mate. Have you had a good start to the year? It's yeah, I feel like it's, I feel like it's been kind of a, it was a slow initial start to the year, but now, now I'm busy. <laughs> it took a few weeks, but here we are 2023. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in full swing. It is here. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, where are you currently? You're on the East coast somewhere, Cincinnati. Uh, I am in Covington, Kentucky, which is just on the other side of the Ohio river from Cincinnati. So wow. I think technically I'm still, I'm like in the South, but this is very, it's very Midwestern. You know? wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Landlocked. Really sexy. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Hey, um, I'd imagine uh, all the folks that are going to be listening to this would be quite interested in hearing a bit about your background and how you got into how you got into brewing and what what sort of drove you into you know the wonderful industry we all inhabit. Yeah, I mean, I've been at it now for a while. Um, it started in college and not as a drinker. I was not really much of a drinker in college. Um, no. I went to school in Miami, Florida, uh, but I was able to take a brewing science class there as an elective. And I just thought it was really cool. I enjoyed the art and the science behind it. And so I decided to take a second semester of it. And the professor um, in that class, his name's Barry Gump. If you ever listen to this, hi, Dr. Gump. But he was like, Alex, you know, you seem to really enjoy what we have in this class, there is a profession, you know, in brewing. He's like, it doesn't really pay that well. And there certainly aren't a lot of women doing it, but I mean, why not check it out? And so I did. Um, I actually sent out a, like a, on paper, <laughs> this will date me a bit, right? I used paper for my resume <laughs> and a cover letter and I got a letter of recommendation and I mailed them with stamps on an envelope. I went to like the Brewers Association's like top 50. And I picked like 20 breweries that I thought were interesting all over the country. And I just sent letters out cold and I ended up getting a few phone calls back. But the one that was the most intriguing and that I ended up actually going forward with was an internship at Sierra Nevada Brewing Company in Chico. So the original nice. brewery 
right? I graduated from college and I packed up my Volkswagen GTI and I drove to Chico. <laughs> um, but I was, I was at Sierra Nevada as an intern for six months. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that I, yeah, I was like, this is something that is incredibly cool. I would like to continue to pursue it. And um, from there, I just ended up getting some production jobs. My first production job was at Moylands, which is a little brew pub in Marin County. So Northern, like the North San Francisco Bay area. Um, and I worked in another brewery in that area too, called Drake's before moving down to Los Angeles, where I did a six month stint at a brew pub, Kinetic Brewing Company, may it rest in peace, um, before meeting Lynn Weaver, where um, I was the founding brewmaster of Three Weavers Brewing Company in Inglewood. And so, I mean, I spent the better part of a decade at Three Weavers, um, but I did leave in October of 2021 um, for some family stuff that's happening, which sucks, but having the ability to like uproot myself and get closer to my family, I felt very fortunate that I had that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've worked in breweries of all sizes. I love production work. I miss it a lot. Um, but I still get to be in breweries all the time because I work really closely with CLS farms and Yakima. So, um, I didn't fully jump ship to hops, right. I still dabble in some other things in, in breweries, but I mean, I landed at a, a pretty sweet gig with the farm. Yeah, yeah, nice. So when you were, you went into Sierra Nevada um, and you sort of started to begin your path along there, did your appreciation for beer grow with your brewing skill and your, you know, did, I know what happened with me. I was, before I was a brewer, I was starting to open these doors at, you know, I'd open a door and go in and find a new beer style and then I'd go to the back of that room and there'd be another door into another beer style and on and on and it'd go, you know, and that was well before it dawned on me to actually do something about it and become a brewer because I'm a bit slow probably. <laughs> but um, it seems like you were it seems like you were sort of picking up pace pretty early early on. So did you did you did your actual appreciation of beer uh, your horizons there expand at the same rate as your your skill set or your understanding around process and and the the mechanics um, behind beer or no maybe yes of course right to a degree that you continue to appreciate the more you know but actually a part of the course work um, in the brewing science class there was a lab that was either like making homebrew sized batches of beer or tasting beers. And mm -hmm. so every week we had like a different style and we would taste things. And so that's what really started opening up my eyes to what a beer could be, not just like, you know, I grew up in South Florida. So lots of Heineken and Stella and, you know, just like the Bud Miller cores of the world, nothing super remarkable in character. But once, I mean, actually the first hoppy beer I really had that was like fresh and hoppy was um, Dogfish Head 60 Minute IPA and yep. and Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and these beers just I was like wow okay so there's complexity there's more here and I think that is what started me down the path of exploration of flavor as far as beer is concerned getting to Sierra opened my eyes to how cool the business itself is and the process I mean they still do things so well across the board in every part of their operations so I was just pretty starstruck and in awe of everything that I experienced there. And yeah, I then, I think that's when I started realizing what brewery fresh beer was, right? Like, you know, starting to understand package flaws and oxidation and how fresh beer is the best beer. And I think that's really, I mean, for better or for worse, it's probably what spoiled me 
on beer for will, will be the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, as you get to understand process a little bit more, the appreciation grows, but the flavor exploration just happened, I think, through just tasting beer. <laughs> yeah. Was there any one, you might have already mentioned it in those uh, those two then, the 60 Minute and um, Sierra um, Pale Ale, but other than those two, was there any one particular epiphany beer that really sort of set the light bulb pinging? Uh, I, yeah, actually. There's, one that really there's made quite, you go, yeah. A lot of one. different a lot of different styles. So really, I think the first time I had North Coast Old Rasputin on Nitro, so it's like an Imperial Stout on Nitro, and it was served to me in a pint glass. I was just like, wow, so smooth, so rich, so much beer. But um, when I, it's really, it was when I moved to California that I started having those epiphanies because my access became so much greater living mm. in like the corridor of like craft beer pioneers. And certainly with hoppy beers, um, being at Sierra at, right around the time when they released Torpedo, which, which they called an extra IPA at the time. I'm not sure what they labeled as now, but really fresh, poppy beer that was more aggressive than what I was used to. Um, I think is also what started my my obsession with hops as a raw ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like um yeah, we, you know, you might as well start at the top if that's the case. I, I was lucky there for sure. Although okay, I had access to I, I did interview at Flying Dog before I interviewed with Sierra and um their uh, Imperial Porter Gonzo was really good. So I guess getting starting to see just the breadth of, of styles and done well by breweries, you know, it's not, not, I mean, I guess not all beer is good beer. We can't say that all beer is good beer. Right. Um, but getting beer produced by these brewers that really knew their shit. I was exposed early to just some of the greats. I feel fortunate. <laughs> it also sets your, sets your standards incredibly high, which can be good and bad. Yeah. Well, you might as well aim for this, you know, Aim for the stars, and if you hit the moon, you're doing well, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> so, um, and sorry, what was after Sierra? You said you moved on. Uh, Moylan's, little Moylan's. brew pub that's been around for, for a very long time in Nevada, yeah. California. Yeah, they are, they're still alive and kicking. Yeah, I met some of those folks years and years ago out here for Good Beer Week. And, uh, oh, I absolutely. And Denise Jones worked <laughs> yep. there for a while. Yeah, I worked there when she was the brewmaster. Yeah, right. Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. Hi, Denise. Beer week, man. Out there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, you need to get back out here. I know. I know. So, um, (laughs) yeah, so, okay, so you're accumulating all this skill and knowledge and um, experience, which I guess leads you eventually to Three Weavers. As as the brewmaster there, um, want to tell us about some highlights at Three Weavers? Yeah, that was a really incredible experience. Um, being able to do something from the ground up, just take a concept and run with it. You know, along with Lynn Weaver, uh, we worked in tandem on getting that place up and running and, and developing the brand and the identity of you know what is Three Weavers. Um, but yeah, it. I, I like, I mean, you know, I spent so many years of my life, so many hours in that brewery that it's always going to be a part of who I am, but really just developing these brands that resonated so, so strongly with like the local market, something I never really experienced having complete creative control over beers that were being appreciated over and over and over again by like 
my community. Um, I always found that to be really special. Um, but the thing, other than the beer side, like, you know, the beer gives you the warm and fuzzies. Obviously, it's alcohol. It gets you buzzed. It gets you warm and fuzzy. Uh, building the community of people, like, I miss, that's what I'll, probably what I miss the most of the people that I got to work with there. You understand when you have a brewery, the family that you build within that Absolutely. brewery, you know, you're all you're all like-minded and passionate about similar things. We're all like a, the same kind of crazy or stupid um, to work within this industry, I think. Um, and so we <laughs> tend to find each other. And the people that we had surrounding us at Three Rivers as a team were just really special. And um, you learn so much from working closely with them. And then over the years, like, you know, transitioning from just like shift brewer, just kind of like supervisory role, then really into like a leadership role where you then become not responsible, but a pretty big uh, part of someone's life in terms of, you know, their employment, but also their, their experience in life, how they grow within the industry um, was a lot of pressure at, at the beginning, but I kind of, I don't know, settled into becoming a mentor for a lot of the people that um, I was able to work with there, which still feels really good now, but you learn a lot about yourself throughout that process as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree entirely with that. When we started Bolter, there was myself and really two other guys in the shed. And um, I pretty much brewed the first million litres in board shorts <laughs> all by myself, right? And yeah. by the time, like we probably have about 60 people in production um, at our site, you know, at the moment these days. And it's very much that as the brand and the, the scale of your business grows, as you say, so does your your family. It's almost like a clan, you know. And one of one of the biggest things that I get a kick out of um, at Bolter now is seeing when we see our staff, you know, come in and and swap shifts or whatever, and you see seeing folks that are, are genuinely chuffed, genuinely really happy to see their workmates. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's that in itself is is crazy. I don't know if that would happen in a lot of other industries where you've got people you know who all all work in the same company that are genuinely stoked to see their workmates as they come in and out of shifts and all of that. There's an awful lot of support, and I don't I agree. You know, and there's probably not a lot of that outside of industries like ours. Mm-hmm. When I was a concreter, there certainly wasn't lots of hugs for other <laughs> concreters. <laughs> Well, that's um, unfortunate to hear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me but, sad um, for you, but you found a way. I've found I've found a way. So yeah, I guess it's a similar thing for us now. You know, I I create all the beers, and they're always been my babies. But it's it's been really quite humbling and gratifying to now, you know, in a lot of ways, hand over the day to day production of those beers to you know to the fantastic team that we've got you know, and yeah. be able to enable them to care as much about the beer as I do and that the other founders do. Um, so you just mentioned Good Beer Week. So I can remember a few years back when you came out to Good mm-hmm. Beer Week and um, it was very good timing, I think, because your naughty double IPA <laughs> one champion IPA, I think, and won the trophy. It did. It got that. It got best IPA and champion international beer. Yeah, that was fantastic. Was I, was, I was on the I was on the champions table, um, judging that that final round. You know, the champion of champions beers, and a couple of my other brewer friends had said to me, "I think your double IPA might be on the table." And I'm like, 
<laughs> well, that'd be nice. And then I got tapped on the shoulder and said, can you come and judge the best beers? So I had a little cry, but yeah, that's I didn't really, but, mm-hmm. but um, the most amazing thing was I remember I got to taste uh, Noddy on the tables and I actually, I put that up as number one in my, you know, you do a whole matrix of judging them one to 20. And I, I had Noddy not knowing, not really knowing you and not, clearly not knowing it was your beer and and uh the fact that we got that up to number one was fantastic so that was an amazing beer mate yeah thank you i love that beer that's certainly three weavers most award-winning beer and it's a fairly aggressive double ipa yeah yeah right like delicious though like yeah i do i so i mean living here i miss beer from california so much i was able to be in california a few weeks ago for the American Hop Convention, which was in Santa Rosa. And so I went to Russian River every single day. I was in Santa Rosa. Uh, <laughs> I have no shame over that at all. And, yep. uh, but yeah, that beer was really lovely. Um, it was actually it was about 20% rye in the grist and a bunch of Tiro, no crystal malt, just the rye for that little bit of like malt complexity. And then it was a lot of mosaic, citrus, Simcoe, yep. Equinot, and Chinook. Yep. So, you know, we played the hits. Yeah, With naughty. <laughs> I had a, it was. I remember like a really, really beautiful sort of mid gold. It almost had its own light emitting from it. It was really a beautiful beer. Really good looking beer too. Yeah, really beautiful beer. Um, you can thank a centrifuge for that. <laughs> <laughs> was there a, was there an inspiration behind that beer? So the name Naughty itself refers to um, a couple friends of the brewery and good friends of mine that had a company called Naughty Woods. And they're these two dudes that you could play like the homeless or hipster game with them because, you know, they had really long hair and really long unruly beards and they would just be slumming it on the beach all the time. But they were both hyper creative engineers and they had this crazy woodworking business, which they still have, where they would just make some of the most random stuff that was like really great. So I became really good friends with them um, and they ended up designing our tap handles, making our tap handles. And um, so I don't know the joke between the double IPA, they're like our favorite beer is a San Diego pale ale, you know, like super hoppy bitter and nine and a half percent. And so that was the joke behind it. So it made them a really light, fairly bitter, aggressively hopped double IPA. (laughs) And also, so three weavers, the logo is called the knot. So it tied in really, really well. Uh, yeah. that naughty was our yeah. double IPA, but really it was named after our friends in San Diego, Naughty Woods. Yeah. And was it so was that recipe like was that a blank piece of paper and you you were just oh, yeah. gunning for a you know something that, that was ticking all your own boxes? Well, there... so I've really I've always I've always been involved in hop selection and things like that. And I love the combination of those like at the time fairly new proprietary West Coast hops. Um, and so the idea behind it was something hypertropical, and we were able to accomplish that with the mosaic, which we select for some berry characteristics, but also that like passion fruit, mango, guava thing that goes on. And then I would always be looking for like really, really um, like tangerine forward Simcoe, our Citra was always banging. And then Equinot gave it this like little bit of old school West Coast dankness to it. Um, and so that was really the, com- you know, the, the idea behind the combination of that variety. And, um, I don't know, I, you know, like I said, I miss it. If anyone from three weavers here, can you please send me some, thank you. But 
kidding. I could text them. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, every, I think, you know, talking about recipe formulation, there's always inspiration behind one of the base ingredients that I want to showcase. And in Naughty, it was absolutely the hops. Yeah. Yeah. It's a double IPA, obviously. What else are you going to showcase? Not the, not the malt bill for sure. No, that's right. You nailed it. It was um, very interesting to hear about the little bit of rye in there too. So adding that extra, mm-hmm. you know, dimension to it all. Well, yeah. I mean, otherwise it's just two row and hops and everyone is brewing beer with just two row and hops. And, and, and so I wanted it and lots of mosaic and Citra and Simcoe, whatever. And so that the rye addition to it was a little bit of a differentiator. And you know, we've actually tried to enter that beer in the in the rye beer category, and it always gets flagged. Like, this is a great double IPA. You can't taste the rye. And we're like, yeah, I know. Like, you know, we bumped it up to 25% one time for competition just to see if it would land because it's a much smaller category than double IPA, but it didn't. <laughs> and they're like, great double IPA, not enough rye. And we're like, all right, well, that's fine. You can't, you know, you can't really taste that small amount of rye. It's fairly, it's fairly delicate character being masked by like, you know, really, this, this is going to sound low like three and a half pounds per barrel in the dry hop i talk to people these days at like six seven and i'm just like crazy <laughs> yeah well you know some some people just want to throw away hops i guess i guess so sounds, I sounds like the rye was almost subliminal addition mm-hmm, hey and absolutely. something else i guess probably pretty much nobody out there um would probably know um is that you and i made a beer together when i we did no um what was it called something about extra, dolphin. extra extra dolphin extra dolphin extra dolphin right what was it we did a clear ipa with uh hazy yeast that's right and um, right? i never got to try it so how was yeah, it yeah well it was delicious <laughs> it was <laughs> definitely a staff favorite we drank we drank a lot of it um yeah, of course. I mean, one, it's it's hard to get beer into Australia, and it's kind of a long flight to come for a beer. Although we were very close to LAX, so to be fair, you know, fly out of Sydney, you could take a direct flight for a beer. Yeah, well, I seem to have a direct fifteen-hour flight for a beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting an old hand at that. I'll be over there about three times this year, so uh, uh, get get those miles in. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Um, that was a very diplomatic answer too. Was it really delicious? It was and delicious. It, it, it was. It was like no, no, no. It was. It was really good because you know we like we from we mashed it like we would we mashed low like we would a West Coast IPA, and I think we used Sabro in that too, just like a little bit of that Sabro. Been my fault. I was, yeah. yeah. Well, I I like Sabro. It's in Cloud City, which is the three we was almost flagship hazy IPA. There's definitely some Sabro in there, not a lot. Uh, yeah. But it was like very peach mango and that tiny bit of like tropical coconut, but not much. It yeah. was a very good, very drinkable beer. And we went super low on the bitterness too, right? So it was just yeah. like crushable hoppy. Yeah. We don't make bad beer at Three Weavers, okay? Just oh, I just didn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have said you did. I was going to say if it was really good though, that that was because of me. And if it was really bad, that was because of you. But yeah, okay. It would be really shitty for me to say that. So it was probably totally the I mean, other yeah, you thought it though. You thought it. <laughs> well, hey, I can remember. I think I turned one of the. Uh, I think I turned the water on at some point. And yeah, probably- you stood on the brudeck for a little bit, and we drank beer. Yeah, and I think I might have. Yeah, I might have went and got you a beer and a coffee or something. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, but did I you add any hops? I don't remember. I don't think you even added hops <laughs> to the kettle. I mean, I did the photo of that, so yeah, you can probably blame me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so okay so i've got a question for you so what yeah. what um i know you mentioned you had some family stuff going on when you left three weavers but mm-hmm. i think any of us that have had had sort of you know any any put up any sort of miles in brewing gets to that point where you know things can get a bit you know a bit um you know oppressive i suppose where there's the relentless nature of brewing and you know we even see it in our staff obviously and when we were uh getting boulder up and running i was doing 18 19 20 hour days to the point where we had a builder build a bed in the brewery a bunk bed for me and i used to sleep there quite a lot now that all sounds when you're first getting into it quite romantic and and very um disciplined and and you know that you're putting in massive efforts, but you can't do that forever. And you know that that fatigue and burnout, all those sorts of all those sorts of things start to creep in. Um, how 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 were you with that sort of stuff? Because I know I know you were working really really hard at Three Weavers as well. I mean, yeah, I definitely went through multiple cycles of burnout during my years at Three Weavers, there's no doubt about that. Some of them were worse than others. I think um, the pandemic era uh, burnouts were a bit heavier. Um, Los Angeles had some of the most restrictive regulations during COVID in the entire country. And so, I mean, all the bars in the city closed (laughs) overnight and we were predominantly on-premise brewery. And the shift there was pretty crazy. And then also the fear, you know, we didn't know a lot of what was going on at the time. And so also managing your employees feelings and making sure everyone feels like safe and also able to be productive during a really strange time. But yeah, I mean, burnout is real and brewing and it's something that we're addressing more and more. I like that mental health has started to become more of a conversation within the industry because that wasn't always the case. It's like, yeah, look, this is great. We're brewers. We can just drink and like party. And even though that's totally not the case all the time, we can definitely do that. Um, There's a lot of hard shitty work that you have to do. And, you know, more and more people are kind of stepping back and they're looking and they're like, is this still worth it to me? Am I still, still, paying enough respect to myself. And then on the other side is, are you still performing in a way that's adequate or more than adequate for your business as well? Right. Because it's more than just about you. There's a business aspect to brewing too. Like it's all fun and games and it's great, but like these are businesses too. So yeah, I mean, I didn't leave three weavers at that point because of burnout. There were definitely times that I considered in the couple of years leading up to me deciding to resign where I seriously considered stopping, <laughs> right? No longer being employed by that brewery, but, um, and not, but not leaving the brewery, you know, the brewing industry overall, it's just, you know, sometimes things stop serving you, um, yep. but you, you pull yourself out of it. And fortunately, despite repetitive cycles of burnout, I still love the industry. So um, I think I never was never, never able to it, never really took it so far that I was uh, at like the point of no return. So I guess self-awareness is an amazing thing sometimes. <laughs> well, that's it, you know, and it's that if you can pull up short of that point of actually breaking, um, you know, we've got, um, um, you know, we've got a, a couple of, a couple of folks in our brewery who had suffered probably burnout is probably a good way to put it and gone off and done other things uh still in booze 
etc. But uh, you know, a couple of years away from the grind of the brewing deck or the cellar or the relentless nature of you know the the endless cycle of production, packaging, all the all the bits and pieces that go together. Um, but folks still come back to it, just like you say, because once it's in your blood, you you sort of you're stuck with it. I know that one thing that we were able to do over time as we got bigger was to be able to have better shift patterns. So a lot of our um all our brewing staff and a lot of the packaging staff are on a four four day on four day off cycle and they love it and that's awesome that is awesome yeah i'd love it i wish i could do it too mm-hmm. but, that sounds great I, to me too <laughs> it does it does because it's a double weekend every weekend um, yeah that was one of the things i think that we were able to to integrate into into our place that that sort of helps with that and see so yeah, our our peak season correlates not just with the end of the year with Christmas and New Year's, but also with summer. So it's kind of like a double peak for us. So every year we we still sort of, we get pretty close to the edge, um, you know, with a lot of our folks, we, we've sort of, we're sort of pulling out all stops for that last couple of months. And it's just amazing to see, um, you know, the, that our teams will just actually step up to the mark and go that extra mile, you know. And, of course, like things break down, Thankfully, people aren't really breaking down, but there's definitely thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, um, you know, there's a there's an in, intensity and a and a you know there's a, a you know you got to run flat out for a long time. You got to be running at top speed, you know, for an extended period to make it all work. And I'm I've never worked in a brewery where that wasn't the case yeah, that time same. of year. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and for you guys, you sort of have the opposite. You, Christmas time for you guys is in the middle of winter, so I'm assuming that's not quite as savage for you folks. Um, I don't know if you've been to Los Angeles, and I know you have been. Um, there is there is no winter. <laughs> yeah. But it does I, slow down a little bit. It does slow down a little bit, and then you have dry January, which is fine, whatever. But um it can slow down a bit during the holidays, but because Los Angeles just has so many people, the population is so massive. Um, we tended to see other shoulder seasons, not necessarily the like December, November, stuff like that. Um, but no, I mean, family, you know, tensions can run high in people's families. The holidays can obviously put a lot of pressure on people, whether it's financially or emotionally um luckily they can you know have a beer at the end of their shift before they go home but um i don't know i mean i i was always really mindful with my people too and 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 openly communicative like look like if something's not working for you don't don't let it fester so that you bitch about it you know to your coworker like we're in high school just say something like let it out let's talk about it like there's no reason to keep something back if something's not working like let's figure out something that does work yeah you want to stop that from happening i mean i would take the brunt of burnout before i allowed any of my employees to deal with some of the stuff that i had to deal with yeah yeah i know that feeling where of uh there's uh with with a lot of our folks there and you know like we obviously we have new people in fairly regularly you know who's first experience of working in a brewery or indeed brewing full stop may well be working at Bolto, which is, you know, we did something like 140,000 barrels last year. So it's, it's walk, it's walking into something that's, 
you know, going at a fair pace and the intensity is up there and the volume of beer we make is quite high. And and sometimes it's like that thing where you don't know what you don't know. So folks don't know that they were, you know, that they're walking into a brewery that's actually really well equipped and yeah. that we've seen a lot of shit in there and like how to how to try and support our people the best. And, you know, because there's, you know, I'm sure we're all aware there's lots of worse places to be working than a brewery like ours, but it's amazing just to see when you've got people that have never worked anywhere else, they they just think that, the, you know, the brewery like Bolton might be the, but that might be the bottom rung. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, my next brewing job's going to be way easier than this. Or, I, know, I've, yeah. And I have better machines. Yeah. I've definitely you know. dealt with that before with, you know, we, <laughs> we liked to promote from within and, you know, people would often get their foot in the door through our tasting room. Um, and we would train people. I, I had no problem training people from nothing. You know, there's comes a point where you look for only experienced individuals, but like, I always like to say, like, if you're training someone from nothing, you don't, you don't have to like undo any of their bad habits. Like you don't have to untrain bad practice when you start someone from the bottom. Um, but it's, no deep yeah, programming. Yeah. Right. But there, but the other side of it is like, they've never worked in another brewery and they don't realize how nice they have it. Like working on new equipment all the time. And I think that they finally, I was like, I, I always talked about like the idea of doing like a brewer exchange. Like, can we just like exchange brewers for like a few weeks or a month so they can see what things are like elsewhere. And, and I'm not trying to say that I want to send my brewers to like a shitty brewery, but like brewers had a lot of really nice stuff. Just go to a more challenging brewery where not everything is new and you have to run a DE filter instead of turning on our beautiful, like, like GEA centrifuge. And we had this amazing KHS can line, like go work on a wild goose for a little bit, better yet put them on like a Maheen bottling line or something like go and check out the other side of the industry. But I never did that. Instead, I think they just appreciated how nice everything was. Um, yeah, but that's how, I, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of how that <laughs> happens though. Because I was the same, like starting in a very small, you know, very under-equipped brewery that you know was across two levels and was basically dairy equipment and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And you progress over the years, and and you get to the thing where, like, you were able to do it three weavers, I was able to do a bolter, which was start from the ground up. And it's because we went through all the shit that now you know we've actually got a nice brewery for everyone else to work in. I reckon no, that's I love cool. I love nice so we took they the hit great, for you. But yeah, yeah, but so like yeah, seriously, because you know, they don't know. You've learned. I've learned that I never want to work in a brewery with, you know, bad glycol lines or shitty flooring. Like, you know, three weavers was fortunate enough to budget tile um for everything. And it just I don't it's know. Like the tile is just man, it is the best. Like the chef's kiss brewery flooring if you can afford it and you're opening a brewery just, just go for the tile um, but i always i had a rule that like good good floors good drains and good glycol lines after working in so many places with like just none of the above <laughs> fantastic that is such a good answer you know because i i was a concreter before i was a brewer right so i made sure the floors at bolter all had one percent fall and the drains were immaculate and they mm-hmm. still are to this day so mm-hmm. you can tell where brewers are strains, right? Yeah. About grains. Wow. Dude, stainless strains. Okay, on that note, <laughs> yeah. on that note, for uh, everybody out there, we're going to take a short break for this message and then we're going to come right back to this scintillating conversation about drains <laughs> with the wonderful Alex Knoll of CLS Farms. See you in a sec. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. 
Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushang. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. Uh, welcome back, everybody, and especially welcome back, Alex Snow from CLS Farms. So, Alex, we've dug around a bit into beer, background, drains. Um, let's talk about what you're doing these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, my I'm actually, uh, I'm a consultant, so I'm, I'm not a full-time employee of CLS Farms, but they are... I spend the majority of my time working with them. Um, I love working with and for the Demeray family. They're just the nicest people. Um, I started my relationship with this family, though, like a decade ago, because so CLS Farms developed um, and they own El Dorado, their proprietary variety. And when I was working at Drake's Brewing Company, I was doing a collaboration for Celebrator Beer, um, Celebrator Beer News. 25th anniversary. So they wanted Drake to make a beer with them. And it was a collaboration with Stone when Mitch still was still there. And Mitch and I were talking about what we wanted to make. And we decided to make something, you know, it was what I guess you could probably call like a session IPA, but it was pale ale. And we both love Centennial. And we really were intrigued by this new hop variety called El Dorado that neither one of us had used before. And I was like, well, let's give it a shot in this beer based off of the sensory data to play really well. So anyway, we did, we brought it in and I was just like, wow, this is a really great hop. Um, it was very unique at that point in time. And it still is a very, very unique and aromatic profile compared to what else is out there. And I was just like, I want to get to know more about this. And right around the same time um, is when I had started going to Yakima in um, during the harvest, for the hop harvest, obviously. Um, and I attended Brewer Supply Group's Team LSU and they were doing it at CLS Farms. And so I was able to meet Eric for the first time and just, I hammered him with some really uncomfortable questions for like, just like a young brewer to ask a hop grower, but he loves talking about the business of it and um, just why things are the way that they are. And he's very realistic about so many things and super communicative. If you ever have an opportunity to have a conversation with Eric about business or anything, really, um, he just goes all in with it. And so I was like, I, this family is awesome. I love this hop. I need to stay in touch. And really the beginning of the relationship grew over my use of Eldorado. I was very much an early adopter of hop and I started doing selection of it. And I was doing selection through BSG, but I would go to the farm all the time. I would always go to CLS multiple times during uh, my selection trips and talk to Eric. And it got to the point where he's just like the hops that we deliver to BSG aren't going to be what you're looking for in Eldorado. Give it a few days. So like he actually started to understand what I was looking for as a brewer in that one hop variety. And we was able to, he was able to openly communicate that with me. And I think that that was really new um, between like growers and craft brewers, especially small brewers like myself. You know, we were not producing a lot of beer. We're no Lagunitas or Stone or anything like that in terms of volume. Um, but really then I was like, okay, this is special. And then I got to know his wife, Shelly, um, and, you know, the whole family and how they practice everything on the farm, Reed and Shree, like the farm manager, the farmer. But there came a point in time where Shelly gave me a phone call 
and it was like February of 2021. And she never calls. Like, you know, I would do seminars for them occasionally. I would talk about El Dorado on podcasts, whatnot. And she gave me a call and we talked for a while. And I was like, all right, Shelly, what's up? And like, you don't really ever call. And she's like, well, we really want you to work for us. And I'm like, okay, in what way? She's like, well, we, we're doing a lot of focus work on El Dorado. And we'd love to have a brewer's perspective to just kind of, you know, translate between the growing side and the brewing side and just represent El Dorado to brewers as a brewer, but in an official capacity. And I was like, well, that's very cool. Um, I'm into that. And so it was very part-time for a while. Um, you know, I, I love, I still, you know, still a lot of what I do is, is kind of advocacy, advocacy behind El Dorado and Zappa and whatever else they're growing, but it allowed me to just talk about something I love so much, which was hops with brewers in other emerging markets, not always in the U S a lot of Southeast Asia, um, at first, but these really young, new, enthusiastic brewers, and they just wanted to talk about El Dorado. How do I use it? You know, let's talk recipe. And that's really where I've always thrived. It's in the flavor and kind of the roots of the recipe through raw materials. And so, I mean, it's grown into what it is now where I have a technical focus. I have like an advocacy focus. I represent the farm, um, a little bit of sales, but hop sales happen so naturally because you bring people onto the farm during harvest and they're just like, okay, this is great. And we're like, yeah, we love your beer. And then Shelly's like, all right, let's make this deal happen. But anyway, um, this past harvest. So, okay, let's back up for a second. I left three weavers in October of 2021. I didn't just did a little bit of part-time work for about four months. After the hop convention, we had a conversation and they're just basically to dumb down the conversation. I'm like, so are you going to get another job? And I had been offered several positions already, mostly through raw ingredient suppliers, some breweries. And I was at the point where I was like, honestly, um, I, I like, I appreciate it. I'm humbled by these great offers from these great um, organizations, but I don't want to one work for another brewery that's not going to be my own. And two, I didn't want to just go work for like a hop dealer. Um, there's something inherently romantic about working for a farm. I think I've always had an appreciation of farming and agriculture, but really, you know, we had that conversation and I was like, yeah, I'd love to expand this into a more full-time role and just expand what I'm doing on the farm, within the farm, for the farm not just around El Dorado or Zappa. And so that started February of last year. So it's been really one year full-time with the farm. And the coolest part of my job though, I think other than the fact that I get to like do these collaboration brews on behalf of the farm and I get to travel around um, in like the good name, the good word of like Yakima grown hops, pretty incredible. Uh, but last year I spent all of harvest in Yakima on the farm. So I was there for about seven weeks. Um, we picked 42 days straight, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 42 days. And, and I gotta tell you, man, it's intense. Um, I certainly didn't start my days as early as Reader Cherie did, who were usually there around 5, 5.30. Mine were a little bit later because I had to pick up the tail end of brewers in town. So I was often downtown Yakima until one or two o'clock in the morning. So I, I like to say I picked up the second shift on it. Um, <laughs> But I got to do a lot of field maturity work this year. So going out into the into the fields, um, rubbing and smelling hops and just talking about whether or not the hop is ready to pick. Like, is this ready to go? And so CLS takes a really cool approach at stuff like that where 
they do everything sensory based, we're going to start putting some more data to that this year. But, you know, we're not running dry matters like a lot of farms. And so, you know, certain operations will like get into one field, they'll start picking centennial, they'll only pick centennial, they'll start picking citra, they'll only pick citra. Um, this past year, maybe it was also a little bit of a weird year weather wise, but you know, we'll go in and we'll pick a field. And if that variety is not ready in another part of the farm, because we farm um, a lot of acreage over a pretty wide area, then we'll stop picking that variety and switch into something that's ready. And so having an involvement on, you know, determining whether or not, you know, because we are, we are picking aroma hops for craft brewers. Yeah. Uh, would I want this as a brewer, you know? Although there, uh, there's a lot of aromatic variability from variety to variety and, and a lot of brewers have their own opinions on what they want. And we know, like I said, like CLS gets what these brewers are wanting in these varieties, like in their centennial, right? We have a lot of big centennial customers and they all want something kind of different. So we're picking yeah. centennial at different points in the window for each one of these farms, right? And Eric's like, nope, this is, this is, this is, you know, and I'm going to call out names right now because there's no secret, but like, this is what Sierra wants. This is what Founders wants, right? This is what Bells is looking for. And, and it's cool. I think it's awesome. It was just a lot of fun being on that side of the industry, really on, on the supplier and the grower side and being able to have like a positive impact on what I love so much in beer, which is awesome. So, so when you guys, when you're doing that, so I'm assuming there's yourself and maybe a small group and you guys are uh, running sensory daily and you're pretty much triggering the, the picking windows for, for particular lots, not even like yeah. say, not even specifically varieties, but particular lots have to go now. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And, you know, cool. Eric's, I mean, Eric's a fifth generation grower, so he knows when these hops are hitting. I was definitely the voice that was like, let it hang longer, let it hang longer. Like, <laughs> especially with stuff that they just started growing, like Vista was a new one for the farm. Um, or even actually this year with CTZ, I was like, let's pick this early. Like, let's do an early harvest CTZ because this is great for an aroma hop. I know it's good for alpha, but like, why not pick this CTZ when it smells like grapefruit and tangerines? Because how often do you get CTZ that smells like that? And I think that they were able to just get a different perspective, like the brewer's perspective on some of these varieties. And there were times where we're like, okay, we'll let it hang longer. And then there's times where we're like, we have to pick these hops. Otherwise, we're going to let them hang through like the 21st of October. And that's just not a thing. Yeah. Um, but it was, I, it, it was cool. Very, very I saw, cool. I saw a bit of that when I was in the Valley. And like, amazingly enough, I was there for about three weeks and managed not to come out and see you at all. Even we, tried. Was, we tried. We tried. We tried really hard. For <laughs> anyone out there, I... I, I rocked up into the US, into LA, got straight up to Seattle, rocked into Cloudburst, and I heard this woman talking, and this woman heard my stupid Australian twang and went, I know that fucking voice. <laughs> and it was Alex. <laughs> and they weren't chugging, even open that chugging day. Chugging a couple of staffies behind yeah. the, <laughs> yeah, behind the behind the counter um, with a couple of the Cloudburst. Yeah, uh, that was awesome. Yeah, and I didn't quite get to catch you up out there, but but you know what? I did. I did get uh, access to a, a a bit of exposure last year to a bunch of sort of the, the really older school sea hops. You know, the Palmer, Columbus, CTZ, and stuff. And it, and something that seems to be really, really interesting to me is the fact that with the citrus and the mosaics in particular, that a lot of these hops, being the monsters they are, have pushed a lot of the other varieties out of the previous picking windows to you know in often cases to be earlier just to get them done and 
some of that to me was a revelation, you know, with things like Comet and, and, and some of those sorts of hops. I was like, wow, I didn't know they could smell like this. You know, I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was all pine and sulfur and, and, you know, all these sorts of things. And now suddenly these hops, these hops that have been around forever have, have new characters. It's almost like a, a collateral damage, which is actually a benefit because they've been pushed out of their traditional uh, windows by you know the new kids the big guys yeah. oh yeah to their benefit you know I think it, it is I think yeah it's one of the most you know it's a happy accident I think it's really 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 was an eye-opener for me last year and, so. and you know there's been a lot of obviously the proprietaries will continue to be the darlings and the hop world is a little bit shaken up right now for a lot of different reasons but I mean, there's definitely been more movement back towards the classics and the public varieties, whether people wanted to do it or not, but through, you know, they do cost less. Um, you can have a lot of impact from a public variety hop that's not going to run you an arm and a leg just to dry hop your beer. And there's really great ways to blend them out. And, you know, you have the one, you know, a newer public variety cashmere that is not I mean I love it so much but I don't know the future of cashmere because people don't like, I don't know maybe don't know how to, don't know how to use it don't use I don't know it's also very difficult to grow but um this pop can give you these crazy like deep strawberry and lime characters that are so unique that play so well with other varieties and like you know, I just think that there there should be more love towards public hops. I will get onto a soapbox about public varieties all day. <laughs> I I mean, I just love the public program. I wish we could do more behind it. Um, but you know, comment. You're talking about comment. I was talking with the brewer just last week, and he's like, you know, we never contract our comment because you know, whatever we have, it shows up and it's just like grassy and hay and kind of dull. And I was like, I don't know, man, all the Comet that we picked last year smelled like lime and like juicy pear. And that's what Comet is to me. Right. But that's when you're minding the fields in a way where aroma is the way, and it's not like you're growing a ton of Comet, right? So you can dip out of one variety and like pick all your Comet in a day. Um, and I think that's exactly what we did. <laughs> Comet was like done in a day, but it just, it opens your eyes up to these other varieties that really haven't gotten a lot of love. And what a lot of people don't know about Comet, it's actually, I mean, it's been around since the 70s. I believe 1972 was commercialized and it was actually bred off of a wild hop from Utah, like a wild male hop from Utah. So it's got wild American hop roots, which I love. I love talking about like the wild varieties because these things are now inherently and romantically American. And you can't necessarily say that about most of our, um, most of our hop varieties. Although if you go back into hop history, it turns out there was a lot of American germplasm that was brought back to the UK for their breeding program. So, you know, there are debates on where these hops actually came from. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man, give some more love to some really good Centennial and some Comet and get some late picked Chinook or some like early harvested CTZ. And there's just so many different things you can do with these beautiful public varieties. Well, you know, I was going to, I scribbled down a question here yesterday. Where do you think hops are headed? But Maybe that was that conversation just then, you know, that, well, that and renaissance piece. And... Sure. I mean, right now there's an interesting oversupply um, in the hop world. So you're seeing a lot of retraction of, of some farms acres and also a swap from um, some of the aroma, these over, I don't know, basically there's just the oversupply of a lot of proprietary varieties and there's an undersupply of alpha. So you're going to see a lot of alpha shift this year, which is fine, right? You know, the pendulum swings back and forth in beer and 
And then, you know, the hop industry follows like 18 months later or something like that, you know, just based off of contracts. But um, yeah, so there's just that, but there's still new hop varieties, right? Proprietary varieties. Everyone has a proprietary variety now. There's so many new hop varieties coming out. And so now it's truly going to be aromatic differentiation. Um, but then I think because growers, I think also have the upper hand in developing what actually becomes successful as a variety is what they choose to plant, right? What they continue to plant. And so strong agronomics on the proprietary side and what is sustainable um, for the farm business, yeah. right? It's, it's great if the aroma is incredible. Up. Yeah. But if it only yields a couple bales an acre and no one's going to grow it, right? It's just That's not right. going to happen. And just so everyone knows 220 pounds on the bale. So two bales an acre, 440 pounds, that's nothing. You want to see stuff like up in like, you know, maybe 10 plus, but <laughs> Centennial yeah. yields like nine to 10 an acre, nine to 10 bales an acre. And that's not a great yielding hop, but we yeah. still grow a ton of it, right? And that's the thing. Sometimes just that's that beautiful paradox where you've got something that is so wonderful that you put up with it basically being the plant world equivalent of a total bastard. So you do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Citra is one of those actually. Um, but people love it, you know, and they're still growing it. I yeah. would like to see a better, more agronomically sound Citra. And I, I believe that that's like what a lot of breeding programs set out to do. And, and there are certain breeders like Steiner that definitely take a agronomic approach to a lot of the things that they do. And they do a lot of high yielding stuff. But I don't know, I guess sometimes like, you know, I'm looking at you, Jason Kralt, Um you find a hop that just smells so amazing <laughs> and you're like, I need the world to see this. Obviously like, you know, there's, and I, you've walked through his fields, like the experimental yards and every year, stuff, every year. right. Every like, year. And he's like, this yeah. one smells great, but look at that plant. It's a total dog, right? Like made it halfway up before just like falling over. And you know, like that one will never see the light of day. So they do make those choices, but I know he's always looking for just something interesting and impactful. Um, but it's got to make sense at the farm level too. Yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. I'm, I'm just very, very grateful for folks like that that have the foresight that, you know, can can be making those decisions 10, 12, 15 years ahead of where brewers are actually going to get them in a five-kilogram bag and chuck them in. Right. Like, that's a hell of a lot of commitment. I mean, that's, yeah. for me, that's one of the most extraordinary things about beer is that, you know, I always say when I'm talking to folks that beer is of the land, you know, especially okay. people who don't really understand where beer comes from. But it doesn't take just a, a lot of commitment from, uh, from brewers and production staff. It certainly takes a huge commitment from farmers. Yeah, it is. No farms, no beer, right? You got it. You got it. <laughs> and it's not just hops, right? There's barley. And I mean, hops, there's a barley, ton. Wheat, there's it's, yeah. everything. It's really, it's everything. There's And what I love, and, and actually I've, I've always, I've done this in, as much as I could in my raw ingredient supply chain, uh, anywhere I've worked in, obviously mostly at Three Weavers, because that was the bulk of where I really managed all of those things, um, was finding growers that aligned with you and the same passion for what they do on the farm as you do in your brewery. And you find something special. I mean, you speak a different language, but it's very similar and you're in it for the same reasons. And so when you find, and that's what, you know, kind of circling back to why I would probably not work for anyone other than CLS uh on especially on the material side uh it's because they have that passion that passion exists there on the farm and everything that they do and if you, you see it and you're like wow that's that's me but you know as a hop farmer in terms of passion and and a lot of maltsters as well 
Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Righto. So where is beer headed? Mm, such a weird question now, right? Like, where's beer headed in Cincinnati? Uh, Cincinnati, I think, is like ten years behind everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, maybe not We've got, everybody's got the internet now, so everybody's only like 20, 20 minutes behind anybody Let's say else. five. No, no, no. The, the beer scene here is definitely a little bit behind, which I kind of enjoy because it seems like it's still growing. Um, the Cincinnati market, Ohio and Northern Kentucky um, is bucking the national trend in terms of growth. Like we're still growing. Breweries here are still growing. Also, like Midwesterners love to drink. It's something I'm not used to, like the level in which they drink. They're like... It's, you know, it's winter here now. And they're like, it's winter and cold and cloudy. Let's drink. And then when the sun comes out, they're like, it's sunny. Let's drink. And then they'll like have a drink on their way to drinking. And it's just, you don't actually need um, an occasion. You just, that's what you're doing. And so people here love beer. I mean, Cincinnati has a ton of brewing history in it. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's cool that I'm able to kind of like, it's like stepping back in time a little bit as a brewer. And so it's, nice. I see the excitement. It's still here. It's, California and a lot of places, there's a lot of brewers and um, consumers. It just got pretty jaded. What's what's the best beer in Cincinnati? Okay. On the non-hoppy side, there's this little brewery called High Grain um, up in Silverton, and they make the best Pilsners. Their Czech Pilsner and their German Pilsner is just really delicious. Super clean, always crushable. Um, he actually made this pho beer for Christmas, and I'm typically against stuff like that but like star anise and like black cardamom and it was good like it was so good I, I feel like I talked it up to the brewer in a way that seemed probably disingenuous but I was totally totally honest um, and then as far as hoppy beers Ryan Geist is making really great hoppy beer um, but I think that there's still space for really good beer to come into the area Saunders another great brewery too but High Grain is definitely my favorite local um, in the area. And it, it's fitting that they do German beer styles well. But, but yeah, I don't know. You still, you know, the closest thing I can get to a West Coast IPA is probably Rheingeist Truth. And yep. that accounts for a lot of their production. And they're just a really great brewing, great company as well. with a lot of good friends there. Um, but I still miss, man. Like I said, I went to Russian River every day. I was in Santa Rosa. Drank as much ghost town beer as I could get in Oakland. So what, so, uh, so here's a question for you. Tiny or piggy? Flying pig, obviously. I'm a brewer, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's your answer too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I miss piggy. Well, you'll, you said you'll be in, you'll be over three times, and I know you'll be in California for the Invitational, and I'm yep. sure Russian River will be at the Invitational. They may not bring blind pig, but you'll certainly be able to get it. Yeah. While yep. you're in California. Hey, and uh, you're heading down, well, not here as such, but you're heading just over the water a little bit mm-hmm. to New Zealand for Harpy Symposium. Very excited. I'm so excited. Nice. nice. I'll be over there. And you're talking? The reason I'm, I'm bringing talking. it up. I'm talking. Yeah, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm talking to you because Pete Gillespie asked uh, me to be on the program with him. and Yeah. Obviously it's connection with GP and and the Harpy Symposium. So, yeah. Ask. Are you <laughs> speaking at the symposium? Or are you just attending? Oh, uh, I'm no. I've I've got. I'm just attending, which is the oh, best because I can amazing. watch. I I I know pretty much everybody who is talking. 
I think mm -hmm. I do actually. Um, mm -hmm. Well enough to get drunk with them all. So um, it's going to be. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be so cool. Excited. I'm just going to. I'm just going to sit there and heckle everyone and and I know. probably get to the bar first. And there's no beer festival this year. Like, so I was fortunate enough to speak at Happy in 2019. Right, that's four years ago. So I was invited to the inaugural, and part of it was the beer festival. And so, mm -hmm. like, we had to send beer, and I had to pour beer, and it was just fine. You know, we like to stand behind the the booth and talk to people about our beers, especially traveling from so far away to pour in New Zealand. Uh, but this yeah. year, they're like, no beer festival. How about a music festival? And Cuba Dupa was a good time last time, so I'm very excited. I feel honored to be going. I'm speaking about hop tour and harvest timing, based on awesome. variety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We um we were meant to um yeah, we were going to be bringing beer over in 2020 and of course the great scourge of our times hit just yeah. in time to scuttle everything. So, um mm -hmm. but anyway, it's good to know that it's back this year. Sands Beer Festival, but there'll obviously be plenty of, plenty of good beer and plenty of really really cool people around including yourself. Yeah. So. They're the they're such great hosts too. They are they're just aren't they? good people, great brewery. Yeah, just I have so much respect for for what they're doing, and um, yeah, really excited to be back in New Zealand for a couple of weeks. Actually, oh yeah, yeah, cool. It's a longer flight for me than it is for you, so I'm gonna make the most of it. Yeah, I make that up though, because like I said, <laughs> I, I I get people now in California going, "Hey, you know more brewers here than I do." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there your was a point in time uh, one year. I'm just like, you're back again? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I, know, I can't stay away. That's okay. I, look, I mean, look how the folks out there can't see, but look how I'm dressed. People tell me I look I like an American. Are you sporting a mullet right now? Uh, sort of. A really okay. shitty, low-key, low-fi, crappy old guy version. But I do have, yeah. can you see that? Guys, they're oh, wearing, sorry, they're, like, people in the crowd, he's wearing an Allison Chains flannel short sleeve yep custom short i actually custom cut short sleeve <laughs> oh i cut so the sleeves up and it's i ironed on the decal myself because you know you, yeah, you got to look pretty stylish when you're riding the mower around here trying to <laughs> uh, avoid the snakes <laughs> and the large anyway, spiders yeah, that, yeah we've descended into drivel um it's probably time for me to get off and let you go too and uh alex noel i just want to thank you mate it's been wonderful having a catch up really looking great. forward to seeing you in Harpy yeah. yeah then in valley at some point because no doubt you'll be around and mm -hmm. hopefully up in the valley as well this year so hopefully uh, maybe yeah. you'll actually make it to the farm this year well, I am going to be there, but yes, hopefully I'll actually get to see you somewhere. Yes, yeah, coming out to yeah. the farm and all of that. But um, really, really want to thank you very, very much uh, for joining. Thanks, everyone out there for listening. Uh, as you can tell, uh, Alex really knows his shit about beer and hops. And oh, it was thanks, great, great to hear. Thank thanks you for inviting much. me. What a cool, uh, what a cool concept. Yeah, I reckon. And then, isn't I'll, it? And then I'll be back. You guys love to hear more of me. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> I'll see you later, mate. All right. Cool, man. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushong. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers 
and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firstea.com.